And it's been great to worship together and uh, just to be able to join you during this Christmas season. It's, it, is, it does feel good to be able to say Merry Christmas. And I hope you're taking every opportunity you can out and about the community to wish a Merry Christmas to people. Uh, they may not themselves celebrate Christmas, but the very fact that you do uh, projects the hope and all that Christmas has behind it uh, as we just go about sharing the love of Christ in our community and around our world. I want to invite you to open your Bibles uh, to John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some in front of you and They'll also be printed, the words, uh, verses will be put on the screens uh, as we read. But we'll be in John chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 5 and verse 14. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 and verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, as we read this passage of Scripture, I'm always struck by the Gospel of John and his approach to the Christmas story. John doesn't begin with Bethlehem. John goes back much farther. John goes back really even before there was a creation And he's answering a question that people have been asking for centuries. In every culture, in every language, in every corner of the globe, people have always wanted to know, can we know God? Can we see him? Is it possible? For those who believe that there is something bigger than us that has created all that we see, can that God of creation be known and can we see him? And people have tried to answer that question through all kinds of pursuits in their life and all kinds of religious uh, investigations. Uh, The Muslims in the world have sought to answer that question. and, And actually the Quran says that vision cannot grasp him, but his grasp is over all vision. When the prophet Muhammad was asked if he had seen God when God gave him the Quran, the prophet Muhammad said, there is only light, how could I see him? So Muslims don't believe that you can see God, that he can be seen. He's beyond the ability of of our sight. Even our Jewish friends have similar beliefs when it comes to God. Much like uh, the prophet prophet, Muhammad, Muhammad had claimed Moses actually had an encounter with God in which God gave him the Ten Commandments. And and after receiving the Ten Commandments, God said, Moses said to God, God, how will they believe me? I, I need to see you. And God said, Moses, you can't see me because my glory would overwhelm you. But you can see the backside of my glory. And the Jews have called that the Shekinah glory, the manifest presence of God. And actually, in a Jewish writing much later than the, New, than the Old Testament, the, the Scripture says this, who, who has seen him, God, and can describe him? And so most world religions, if not all, say that there is no way you can see God. He's unknowable. He's unsearchable. 
And we understand that. God is difficult for us to see and grasp. But then, 2,000 years ago, along came a poor, itinerant rabbi who challenged that idea. Jesus was the son of a carpenter. And he came along and began to speak to his disciples and tell them that, no, God can be seen. God can, in fact, be known. And he said to his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 7, If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. What an amazing thought. What a radical teaching. And one of Jesus' disciples named Philip was a good Jew. And asked a question very similar to the question that Moses had asked thousands of years before. He said in response to what Jesus said, he said, Great, Jesus, if you would just show us God, that would be enough. Just show him to us. Just reveal him to us. And Jesus turned to Philip and said, Philip, don't you know me? Philip, didn't didn't you see at the baptism what happened? that, That when I was baptized, you heard the voice of God and you saw the... The Spirit of God descend like a dove. Philip, don't you remember the miracles that you've witnessed? The water that was turned into wine? Don't you remember how I used just a couple of fish and a few slices of bread and fed thousands of people? Philip, don't don't you recall that I walked on water and calmed the stormy sea? What about all the miracles? Those who had been possessed by demons and, and I cast the demons out and they were healed. The sick who were made well, the lame who were made to walk, the blind who can now see, the lepers who have been cleaned, cleansed, the paralyzed who can now walk, the dead who have been raised. Philip, don't you see and don't you know? It's me. And he says in verse 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And all the disciples must have gasped at that thought, that God could be seen. You see, at the center of Christianity, as opposed to other worldviews, is the belief that God can be known. And not only can he be known, that he has made himself known, that he has revealed himself in flesh so that we can see him. Christmas isn't just the celebration of the birth of a baby, but it's the celebration of God taking on flesh and dwelling among us. It's called the incarnation. Incarnation is a fancy theological term that that basically just means something that takes on human form, that God took on human form. He made himself accessible to us. And John says at the very beginning of his gospel, before Bethlehem, before shepherds and angels, before mangers and innkeepers, he says, we have seen him. We have beheld God's glory. We've experienced him. We've touched him. He can be made known. And his name is Jesus. And so at the beginning of his gospel, he answers some important questions that humanity asks. He answers the when, the who, the what, the how, and the why of the incarnation. The when, John says, in the beginning. John's gospel is a prequel to the book of Genesis. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's been a trend in 
movie culture today that, that for years and years and years there were sequels and sequels and sequels. But have you noticed that they've started doing what they call prequels, where they go back and they give you the backstory, something that happened before the movie that you love. And John's gospel is that for the book of Genesis. Before God said, let there be light and there was light. Before God separated the, the land and the sea, he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and suddenly Genesis makes sense because later on in the Genesis account we hear God say let us make man in our image who is the us it's Jesus pre-existent always there present with God from the start Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 says he is before all things See, human stories always have a context, don't they? There was something that created the circumstance that led to the story that we love. Think about about the fairy tales that we tell our children. Think about Cinderella, for example. Something happened to her mother, and then something happened to her father that she would be left alone with her wicked stepmother. What was that? We don't know. It's the context for the story. There's a backstory to Cinderella. Think about Geppetto. How many of you love the story of Pinocchio? And you've got Geppetto. How did he end up an old man all alone with no family and no children? How did he end up in that situation? We don't know. There was a background to his story. You have a background to your story. There were circumstances and situations, some of which you had control over, and many of which you had no control over, that led to you being right where you are, right here today. A story that was in motion before you even took your first breath your story has a context and John wants us to understand that Jesus is the context for every other story that he is the background for everything else we know and has been revealed to us about God Jesus was not an afterthought he was not plan b God did not create the world and then sin came into it and then God tried several other things and finally sent Jesus. Jesus was the plan all along. He doesn't simply fit into a religious narrative. He is the author of the story. When, John says, in the beginning, before there was time, there was Jesus. And he even tells us who. That he is the word The image of the invisible God. The the Greek word for word is logos. It's where we get our word logic from. Reason. That Jesus is the reason. That's kind of a trite saying we say at Christmas time. But it actually is what John is saying. That Jesus is the logic behind everything you see and everything you know. That Jesus didn't just come from God. He is of God. He was with God and he is God. There's a word that has fallen out of use in the English language, and I'd love for us to bring it back. It's the word begotten. It's an older word, and some of your translations may still have it. Unfortunately, many modern English translations have taken the word begotten out. But in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen him. We have beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten son of God some of you memorize John 3 16 that way for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son let me tell you what the word begotten means and why it's so important 
See, when you say from, it simply means that like a sculptor might, might sculpt a statue. The statue is from the sculptor. But when you say begotten, it means it's made of the same substance. That, that it would be like a parent begetting a child. It, it's made of the same substance of that which made it. That is Jesus He is the word. He is the logic behind creation. He is the image of the invisible God. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Verse 19, Paul says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. When in the beginning, who? God. God of substance from God. And what did he do? John says he created. Not only does he create, but he sustains. You remember the Genesis account that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And how did God do that? Did he go down to the craft store and buy all the supplies and then make it? No, there was nothing. There was nothing that existed. God spoke the word and it came to be. God spoke and there was light. God spoke and there was earth. God spoke and there were birds in the air and fish in the sea. The word of God created all that we see. And John tells us that that word, that power of creation, wasn't just some some ethereal idea. It was Jesus who was creating and forming things. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, For by him... Were all things created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is holding all things together. Some of you need to hear that this Christmas season. Because you feel like your world is falling apart. And yet the promise of Jesus, the promise of Christmas, is that the one not only who made it, but the one who sustains it, and the one who holds it together has come to be among us. He's holding it together. How? How has God chosen to reveal himself to us? John says, by becoming flesh and living with us. You know, when you think about God revealing himself to mankind, it's interesting to think of all the ways he could have done it. My plan would have been different. I don't know about yours. I think it would have been better for him to come when there was social media. So it could have been on the Facebook feed, or there could have been a tweet sent out. Or he could have done it when there was mass media, cable coverage, around-the-clock, 24-hour news cycle. And he could have made an appearance on the evening news, interrupted the broadcast so the world would know. But that's not how he chose to do it. You say, well, he, he did it through the Bible. He did it through a book. But, but actually, his revelation through the Bible wouldn't come to us for hundreds of years after that. There were no printing presses. Did he do it through the church? No. No, the church was the result of his revelation through Jesus Christ. Did he do it through a moral code, through the law? No, the people had had the law given by Moses thousands of years before. And they had come to understand that the law was insufficient to know God. I love what Max Lucado says. To limit God's revelation to a cold list of do's and don'ts is as tragic as looking at a Colorado road map and saying that you've seen the Rocky Mountains. When God chose to reveal himself, he did so 
through a human body. That God revealed himself in the flesh to us. He showed us what it meant to walk and to live and to have an abundant life. Jesus is God's ultimate statement that creation is good. You remember the Genesis account? Every time God would create something, what would he say? He would say, it is good. It is good. It is good. And then he gets to creating Adam and Eve and he says, it is very good. And somehow we have this idea in our minds that that sin has come in and, and it's totally ruined everything. And so now anything made of flesh must be bad. And God says, no, 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 no. Let me show you how I can redeem that which was created by myself taking on flesh and coming to live among you. It's God's ultimate statement that creation is good. See, you and I, we're like characters in a book. We live in the story that God has written But we were never able to conceive of the author. But the author of our story has written himself into the narratives of our lives. That God wrote himself into creation through Jesus Christ so that he could redeem us. And maybe the most important question of all that John answers is why? Why would God do this? Why not just start over? Why not just look down and say it's too far gone? Why would he reveal himself in the flesh? And the answer is to reveal the glory and the nature of God. That he's a God who wants to be known. He wants us to know him. He wants us to experience his love. That's his nature. See, you and I, we're like Moses and Philip. We just believe if we could just see God... Somehow, if we could just see him, then then maybe we would believe. But we have seen him. We've got an account of his life, what he taught, how he interacted, what moved him. We somehow disconnect the Jesus we read about in the New Testament with the reality of God's character and nature. But listen, to know God, we must know Jesus. And to know Jesus is to know God. You don't have to wonder what God is like. If you want to know the character of God, look to Jesus. If you want to understand the ways of God, look to Jesus. If you want to know the mind of God, understand the mind of Jesus. If you want to know the heart of God, Try to understand the heart of Jesus. If you want to know what is important to God, ask yourself, what was important to Jesus? He is the revelation of God. Bruce Olson was a missionary who worked in South America for his entire career with one tribe of Indians called the Montalone Indians. And he worked for many, many years trying to share the stories of Jesus with them. And they just couldn't, they just couldn't or wouldn't hear the stories or receive them. They, they began to accept Bruce into their community, but they, they didn't really want anything to do with the story. And Bruce just kept praying, God, would you just show me some way to communicate to them what it is that you've done through Jesus Christ? And then one day he heard, he heard one of their legends And the legend went something like this. There was an Indian, a Montalone Indian, who was looking at the ants as they were building their anthills. 
And he would see how their anthills would get stepped on, and then they would have to rebuild the anthills time and time again. And the Indian began to think, I, I, I want to tell the ants how they could build a better house. But when he tried to speak to the ants, uh, the, the ants couldn't understand what he was saying. And so when he took his hand down into the dirt and tried to show them by himself building an ant pile that, that would withstand uh, the weather and the wind and, and the foot traffic, the, the ants just scattered. They were afraid of that big hand that came down out of the sky. So finally, the Indian decided that he himself would become an ant and he would show them how to build a better anthill. And Bruce Olson says this, if you are big and powerful... You have to become small and weak in order to work with other weak things. It was a perfect parallel for what God had done in Jesus. That's what he's done. He's become one of us. To show us how to navigate the brokenness of this world. That that from the beginning of time it was God's plan to reveal himself through Jesus Christ. That he is, in fact, not just, not just from God, but he is God. The creator, the sustainer of life. He's become flesh and come to dwell among us to reveal to us the love of God that would overcome any barrier so that you might know him. And Christmas is the celebration of God's revelation of himself through Jesus Christ. The gospel records of Christ are the best picture of the heart and character of God. If you want to know God, I challenge you, open your Bible and read the gospels. Some of you are here, and by the very fact that you're here, you may have come to believe and accept that, yeah, there is a God, but I'm not sure he can be known. I'm not sure he wants to be known. Can I just challenge you? in the year 2015, to pick up the Gospels and read the stories of Jesus. Come to know God through the stories of Christ. Read one Gospel each month for the next year. In January, read Matthew. In February, read Mark. In March, read Luke. In April, read John. And then start over. By the end of the year, you'll have read through all four Gospels three times, and it's less than one chapter a day. And ask yourself, is this, is this picture that I see in the Gospels, is this the God that I truly know and believe? Or am I simply believing what culture has told me about God? What my granddad may have told me about God? What some preacher sometimes told me about God? Instead, let let God in flesh, let God incarnate, Inform the picture of the God that you worship. And I'm going to invite you to join us here every Sunday. Because we're going to begin a series that's going to take us through the Gospel of John each Sunday morning. I think we'll be in it for about 37 years. (laughs) It's a little longer than our normal series. But, But church, listen, I believe it is so important that we understand who Jesus is and how he thought and what he did and what he taught. Because by doing so, that's how we understand God. It's how God has revealed himself to us. The most profound theological conversation I was ever a part of um, did not take place in my seminary experience or in a classroom or even in a church. 
Some of you heard me tell this story before, but it happened in the back of my van. Um, I had two children at the time. My, uh, my son, Caleb, was four and Emma was two. And we were driving from one place to another and Caleb pipes up from the back and says, Daddy, what does God look like? And I thought for a few minutes trying to form my answer for something a four-year-old could understand. And before I could say a word, Emma in her sweet little two-year-old voice said, He looks like Jesus. She was absolutely right. He does look like Jesus. Because Jesus is God. And this Christmas, more than any gift you could have, more any gift than any gift you could give, is the gift that God has already given to us in the person of Jesus Christ that we might know him, that we might experience his love and his grace and his mercy. And if you're here today and you are searching for God, can I suggest that you look not, not just at a baby lying in a manger, but at a God who would put himself on a cross so that you might know him and experience his grace and forgiveness. Will you pray with me? We're going to have a time of invitation and commitment. And as we do so, I just want you to know um, these steps become an altar of our worship place where we can come and pray, where we can pray for one another, and there may be others who would come, and prayer partners would pray for you, or I could pray for you. Maybe today, in just a simple act of faith, you would just walk the aisles and say, my search for God is over. I see him in Jesus. Maybe today, you would just still yourself from the noise of a busy holiday schedule, and you would seek to understand God through the revelation of him in Jesus Christ. Whatever God may be doing in your heart this morning, I believe it's no accident that you are here. From the beginning of time and even before time began, God had a plan for you. And that plan centers around Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your divine intervention into our world and into our lives. That as you've written the pages of history, that you wrote yourself into the story that we might know you, the author of life itself. And Father, for those who've come here today, who are wondering, can I know God? Lord, I pray they would leave here inspired, encouraged, challenged, even dared to examine the life of Jesus that they might see and know God. Father, we pray during this time of invitation and commitment that that your spirit would move in us, that we might open our eyes and see Jesus revealed to us in flesh. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Will you stand together as we sing these songs of commitment and respond as the Lord leads?